Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. This episode is brought to you by L1 Automotive Training and Keith Perkins. If you're looking for education on module programming, J2534, EEPROM work, key and immobilizer, electrical diagnostics, or drivability diagnostics, Keith has a website, l1training.com, that's got over 60 hours of training videos on all those subjects and more. When I first started out doing mobile, I utilized Keith's videos on module programming and J2534 in order to get my head wrapped around what I would need for the tooling, the computers, the software setups, you know, what kind of obstacles I would be up against when I'm out there programming modules on cars. And it was a huge benefit to me. And I continue to use the training videos um, that he has on his website. So I strongly recommend checking out l1training.com. We have got Auto Rescue Tools and Isaac Rodell as a sponsor for this podcast. Hey guys, if you're looking for programming laptops, you want the laptop set up ready to go for programming control modules on vehicles, you need key cutting equipment, you need diagnostic tools, Isaac is your guy. Has all that stuff available for purchase and the support that he offers along with the purchase has been outstanding. I bought some stuff from him in the past. I got my dolphin key cutting tool from him several years back. And again, the support has been phenomenal. Helped me out along the way with anything additional I needed to make it work for me. So make sure to check that out as well. Again, that's autorescuetools.com. The link will be in the show notes. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and I'll be your host once again for today's episode. Thank you for joining me. On the show today, I've got Andrew Rogue joining me. Andrew's a listener of the show. He's a technician down in Phoenix, Arizona, or the surface of the sun, as he's going to tell us about. And uh, he's joining me today. He reached out on Facebook and he recently went through a diagnostic on a Chevy Malibu that had a misfire. And he did come to the conclusion, but the testing results that he got kind of confused him and he wasn't sure why he was seeing what he was seeing. Now he's using a lab scope uh, to try and assess a fuel injector. Um, that he thought was causing the misfire on this engine and he got some results and again was just something didn't add up something didn't make sense based on what was actually the fix for the vehicle what was physically wrong with it and what he saw on the scope and so he wanted to go through that with me and see if we could sort it out and figure out why he saw what he saw i said sure i'll give you you know the best help that i can offer and see what we can do And he sent me some notes and a scope pattern so we could look at it. And I'll probably post the scope pattern 
in the Facebook group so that you can see it too. Uh, and I think that would be really helpful. Uh, and maybe just pause the pod right here and take a look in the Facebook group. It'll be in the comment section for this episode and you can see the scope pattern. It'll make more sense on what we are talking about. Now, a couple of things I want to mention before we jump in here. First thing, this is a great example of lab scopes and how they can be really powerful. But the thing that's not talked about maybe enough is that they can also send you down some crazy rabbit holes. Things that you would see with a scope that you would never see with any other diagnostic tool. And you may think, well, that's the problem, obviously, right? I'm looking at this. I see this. This is an issue. But you would have never seen this particular, we'll call it a glitch, any other way. Well, that glitch may not be anything. It may not be a problem at all. It may be completely normal. It might be equipment failure. It's just the fact that when we get some of these scopes and we're not used to looking at particular waveforms, we don't always know what's normal, what's good, what's a problem, right? And the more you use a scope, of course, the idea is that you could pick that stuff out easier. But as we're learning these things and not even just scopes, but just circuits in general. Like you haven't connected up to this particular circuit on this particular car. So you don't know what's normal and what's a problem. And sometimes you can follow a thing that you think is the problem, but it's not the problem, right? And it's an important thing to remember about scopes. We're going to talk about that. The other thing I wanted to mention as I was editing this episode, I noticed something that I, I, I need to point out just for not only Andrew and I did reach out to Andrew uh, the other day and after we talked, after we recorded and I talked to him about this, but I wanted to point out for everybody listening to, cause it's important to know this. I didn't catch on to the line of thought while we were discussing this, but there's a point in the podcast you'll find, you'll hear it where he mentions that voltage is low because amperage is high and that can't happen, right? And we're discussing the potential of uh, an injector that's drawing too much amperage that would cause low voltage. That's that's not a thing. That's not how electricity works. Go back to Ohm's law and the relationship there. In order to have adequate or even more than normal amperage, you have to have adequate voltage. If you don't, you're not going to have the amperage. That's it. That's the only way it works. So just keep that in mind as you're listening. We don't mention it during the show, but that is a thing that I'm sure many of you do know, but I wanted to make clear uh, just so it's not something that was missed. Anyways, uh, I really enjoyed this. Andrew's a very well-spoken, intelligent guy, and I'm glad he came on the show. I think everybody else will enjoy this as well. With that out of the way, let's jump in. So how's it going, Andrew? Pretty good. Um, the heat in Arizona is not not something I'd wish upon anybody. <laughs> what part of arizona are you in so i'm i i'm out in uh, a little town called buckeye which is the most the westernmost suburb of the phoenix metro area so i'm okay right uh locals affectionately refer to it as the surface of the sun um it's, it's <laughs> been <laughs> it has been miserable although today did cool down we only i think got up to 108 today so <laughs> jeez <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. I have some, uh, family that lives in Phoenix uh, and you know, they've said the same thing and they have a cabin. Uh, I'm not super familiar with the 
the area, but it's it's way up in elevation as opposed to Phoenix. So it'll actually snow up there and stuff, uh, uh, which I didn't I didn't know that you could do that in Arizona. But they said they would go up there, you know, now and it's still like 90 degrees or whatever. And then, yeah, you guys are at 120 or like you say, the surface of the sun. So. Yeah, yeah. You get <laughs> you get wild. a little farther north and it's it's a lot more a lot more bearable. How much AC work do you guys do just like all we day long? A, or we what? do a ton. It's it's almost it's frustrating from like a because I I am a technician. I do work for a shop. I'm aspiring to someday own my own operation. And I'm not quite sure if I want to own a, a full service shop or if I want to go kind of the route that you go of doing mobile diagon programming. I, I really enjoy the diag side, but um, we get a ton of AC work and we'll have things like you know, your brakes are at, you know, one or two millimeters of pad life left and your AC is broken and they only have money to fix one thing and they're fixing the AC. You know, you got belts mm-hmm. shown on the tires and we're not fixing the tires, we're fixing the AC. So it's like people always prioritize that first, even over like safety concerns with a vehicle, which is frustrating from like, oh, yeah. I, I care about like the big picture, which is maybe a, a fatal flaw. But yeah, we do it. <laughs> we do a ton of AC work. Like it's, it's, mind-numbingly it's annoying like i i like doing i I like doing diags i don't like ac i mean it's like it's got a leak great (laughs) (laughs) yeah right yeah sometimes you can throw in some electrical stuff there uh, on the ac or at least i I get some of that doing the the mobile thing but it it was the same thing when i was tech up here is come summertime as soon as we hit that first 90 degree day uh, people will dump absurd amounts of money into their air conditioning system when like you say it's you know they've had car, this oil leak <laughs> yeah suspension's falling apart you need brakes you need tires it's all rusted out up here no get that get that compressor running um yeah. and, and we get the people who maybe it's just like a hot summer and so we go stretches a period of time in the winter where nobody uses the ac and maybe it's a kind of a cool summer and they didn't really use it and so that compressor or that ac system hasn't even been on in a year plus and now they go to turn it on like oh it doesn't work and they just come in can you just recharge it and maybe but also maybe the compressor's locked up and the belt fell off and there's a hole in the condenser and yeah, it's it's crazy stuff, but there was always good money in it, man. That was one thing about AC. That's that is that is true. We've got a we've got a, a problem a problem vehicle. It's in in and out of the shop right now. It's a 2014 uh, Ford Super Duty, and I think I think we've we've spent about forty five hundred dollars in AC. Like we have replaced every component in the system, and without fail, it goes two days after it leaves our doors and it stops working, and like. We had like this last time it left, it went, I think it went a day before it stopped working. And like we had it, we had like it was done and we had it in the shop and we like let it sit there and run for 45 minutes. We had a couple different guys take it on like long road tests, like everything you could do to make sure it was fixed. And we gave it back to him and the next day it stops working. So that's, that's stops working as in leaks, leaks out or something yeah. electrical. Leaks oh, out. okay. Well, let me rephrase. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not working on it, oh, and that's gotcha. that's, that's the the I guess the frustrating thing, which kind of leads us into our the the reason that I wanted to come on here and, and talk to you, and that's doing um like an advanced electrical diag is not something that really anybody else in my shop does. Like I'm the only one that okay. Like we have the only, I've got a U scope, 
but then I've the only like real scope that I have besides the U scope is um uh, it's a what is it? It's a snap on Triton little two channel scope, which sure. is better than nothing, and it was was really handy with this this diag that I was working on uh, I guess this would have been yesterday. And and so it's stuff like that is like I don't know if it's an electrical issue with that AC concern because it's like we've done everything. And it keeps having mm-hmm. this intermittent issue and it almost feels electrical to me, but I'm not the shop foreman and the shop foreman has been working on it and he kind of has a bit of an ego and he doesn't want to mm. take that one down. And it's like, it's it always frustrating in this industry when you get people with egos. Now, granted, I have a big ego and I can be a bit of a prick. So <laughs> <laughs> it irritates me and I do it. There's a slight advantage to having a, an ego doing what we do like you need to have confidence in yourself and uh, it it can be a good thing but yeah you can go overboard with it and it can be to your detriment pretty easily too so there's just a balancing act there of figuring out what's the what's the right amounts and when am i being a dickhead (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly and i i I miss that balance uh probably too often might (laughs) i'm not i'm not the well i am the favorite tech in the shop everybody loves me at least I like to think so. <laughs> yeah, that's what we all think. <laughs> um, are you at an independent shop or dealership? Or yeah, so I'm I'm at, a, I'm at an independent. I've been at independence my whole career. Um, the, I work I work for a small independent right now. We've got, uh, I think we're running, f- we'll call it four and a half techs because I've got, I've got our, our foreman is kind of half, half, is like half in production as a tech and half um, just in management. Um and then we've got, I think we've got a fifth tech that's starting on Monday. Um, so we'll see how he does. But yeah, we're a small, small independent shop. And it's, we are also the shop that like we get all the problem cars from everybody else. Um, so anytime mm. a car has been through two or three or four different shops, it usually ends up coming to us, um, which is, which is great. Sometimes it seems like we usually end up losing our shirt in one way or the other as far as making money on stuff because we'll spend the the hard part is is charging for diag time when like the diag took forever not because it was a hard diag because of a tech's lack of experience you know like if a tech floundered mm-hmm. for eight hours to conclude that a fuse was blown it's like can, is it really fair to charge the customer eight hours when you should have checked the fuse first and yeah that's a whole nother i, I don't think so <laughs> yeah that's a whole nother discussion um but yeah so i kind of want to move into this this I, I guess we'll call it a case study it's kind of an ongoing case study since the car is still at my shop um this is a 2017 chevy malibu ls with a 1.5 a 1.5 turbocharged direct injected uh i think it's a four cylinder yeah um okay so this car came into the shop initially let me see i got it in front of me uh, initially came in as a crank no start and the i didn't look at it initially another tech looked at it and through the course of their diag we found that the exhaust camshaft had actually broken in some fashion i'm not sure if if like the reluctor mm. wheel on the back of the cam broke, or if the cam itself had an actual uh, catastrophic failure, so uh, what did we do? Sorry, I'm I'm looking through 
all the notes here and try to make sure I get the, the storyline correct. So we found the broken cam, pulled the valve cover, found the broken cam. And so we replaced the broken cam and then we did a full OE timing kit. So it got a, a vacuum, that's a gasket, um, all the chains and guides and tensioners and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they had a misfire. They had a misfire on, I think it was cylinder three. They put a single fuel injector in, in cylinder three. The misfire moved to cylinder two. They put a full set of fuel injectors in it, and then it ran fine. The story that I got was it drove fine for 10 miles and then developed a dead miss on cylinder four. And that's where I got it. Okay. So I guess kind of what I, what I want to do, if if you're good with this, is I'm just kind of going to run mm-hmm. through kind of the process and what I did, and then and maybe just kind of run through it real quick and then and then kind of talk about maybe where where I could have done something differently maybe if I misinterpret because at the end of the day the call that I made on this was wrong um and I'm I'm trying to figure out for my own education where did I go wrong in my process and what or did I did I misinterpret okay. a test result was there something I did wrong um so let me just run through this real quick I know you've already read it but for the benefit yeah. of everyone listening uh go I got to do I got to do it had dead miss the flashing check engine light i i scanned the vehicle all the relevant codes in the pcm there are a bunch of coil circuits uh injector control circuits and a lot of previous testing had been done some of which with the engine running so i assume that most of these were set with just throughout the course of testing and weren't actually relevant to the issue um there was one there was i think it was our, our misfire code I, I looked over at the freeze frame data and found that fuel trim was indicated a super rich condition um, when when it set that code. So positive trims? Yeah. So the, the freeze frame showed uh, plus 17 on the short term and then zero on the long term. And then when I looked at the data with it running, it was like plus 27, plus 25. Um, so like way positive trims. Um. Yeah, plus 26, and then plus, or long was plus 26, short was plus 33. So I went, so it had set this P0300 misfire code. I went and looked at the misfire counts, and cylinder four is a dead miss every cycle, any RPM, it's dead, like dead, dead. Uh, the cranking rhythm sounded okay. A quick, I guess, side note is the previous tech slash shop foreman kind of got together and they spent, I, like six or seven hours messing with this thing and they concluded that we needed to remove the cylinder head and inspect for a valve actuation problem because they had a running compression test that was with erratic results is what i was told but like nobody wrote anything down nobody made any actual notes so it's kind of hearsay because this was like three weeks ago um but the cranking rhythm sounded normal just like cranking on it um i removed cylinder four spark plug and found that it was it was wet but not like soaked like it was wet like we weren't getting sparks is what it looked like um i've mm-hmm. tested spark coming out of the coil and there was good spark coming out of the coil and i swapped it i swapped the coil with the one next to it so i swapped it with cylinder three so cylinder three is what we're doing a lot of swapping with because cylinder three is known good cylinder four is unknown or known bad um so i swapped the coil with cylinder with cylinder three good clean bright spark out of both coils spark spark is not is not our issue um so my conclusion from that is spark is being sent to the spark plug but for some reason we're not igniting the mixture in the cylinder um 
went ahead and did a static static compression test, just cranking compression test. Cylinder four tested at 235 PSI. Cylinder three tested at 245 PSI. So, you know, 10, 10 pounds of difference in cranking compression between runs fine and dead miss every time. And then I went ahead and did a, a running compression test. Again, I'm, I don't have a pressure transducer to do this with a scope, so I'm just doing it with a just a gauge. So I'm watching the needle bounce and kind of eyeballing sure. for that fraction of a second when the needle hits the top number. Uh, cylinder three's peak compression was 120 to 130, so roughly half of what static was, which if my recollection is correct, that's normal. And then cylinder four was the same thing, 120 to 130 is the peak. So the gotcha. conclusion of that is there's no measurable difference in compression between cylinder three and cylinder four. So known good versus known bad. Compression is the same. Compression is not our issue. So mm-hmm. I got to break out my favorite tool in the shop. Well, my favorite tool is my pocket screwdriver. But I got to break out the uh, I got to break out a lab <laughs> scope for this one. I listened to your your everyday carry of a Diag Tech episode today, and I was like, yeah, oh, yeah. The, the po- I'm the only guy in my shop that carries a pocket screwdriver in his pocket. And <laughs> I use that thing all the time. You've always got the solution right there. <laughs> exactly. So the injectors have like a sub harness right on the top of the fuel rail. And there's a nice big connector and you can get to all the pins to back probe it. Um, I didn't have a good way to, I'm not opposed to piercing wires, especially down here, especially it's like it's dry. We don't get salt. It's not, I, I don't have a problem piercing wires in this case, back probing was just easier so mm-hmm. I so these fuel injectors are controlled by the PCM. One side switches a ground, one side switches a, a there's a discharge capacitor that spikes voltage up to like sixty five volts to hold the injector open, and then it regulates it like twelve or sixty five opens the injector and then it regulates it about twelve to hold it open and then it closes it. Um okay. so I scope number three, which is just looking for a known good pattern. I actually because it's a two channel scope, I put hooked one channel one channel into number three which is my known good and then one channel into number four which is my my unknown um and what i found was number three's got a good a good clean scope trace you can see the 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 voltage ramp up to like 65 volts and then you can see the pulse where it cycled it on and off and you can see how far how how long the injection pulse is everything looks great um number four injector pattern if you zoom way in, does the same thing, except the spike only goes up to one volt. So the injector takes 65 volts. One to open volt? It, one volt. So okay. the pattern was there. It You could see the ramp. You could see the spikes. And they, using a, a a trigger, I was able to see that they like lined up with each other. Just one only spiked up to a volt and one spiked to 65. But something was happening. What I was able to conclude from that was that the PCM is not disabling this injector like it it doesn't see a fault and it's turning it off because i'm still seeing some amount of signal that tracks with what a a normal signal looks like so but the check engine light was flashing right the check engine light was flashing initially it was not it was not at the time that i was testing this Um, okay it was just it was on solid and it just had the 300 code it hadn't set the 304 for the cylinder four misfire yet okay um I checked a couple. I checked the other two fuel injectors. Everybody's at everybody's at sixty five, except for number four is is low. Um, there should be there's a supply side and a control side 
and the PCM switches both of them. And looking at a wire diagram on Mitchell showed the control side or what what the wire diagram showed as the control side is where I was seeing the 65 volts or seeing that that spike to 65. Okay. Um, I I scoped the the other side of it, which should I think should, I think according to the diagram is the supply. I'm not sure exactly how this um, works as far as which way. I don't know how current flows, but there's there's two sides. I scope one side, I get 64. The other side, the pattern is it like it's you can see it moving and there's a, a repeatable pattern, but it's like one or two volts. Um, and I can check both number three, which is known good, and number four, which is known or unknown or known or that's our problem hole. And uh-huh. one side, they look the same. The other side, one spikes to 65, one spikes to one. Okay. Um, I measured the resistance through fr- from that sub harness down through the injectors. Uh, cylinder cylinder three, our known good, came in at 1.8 ohms. And cylinder four, which is our unknown, came in at 1.7 ohms. So okay. resistance-wise, we're really close. At that point, I ruled out, uh, ruled out an injector. Uh, I pulled mm-hmm. the I pulled the PCM connector and I, I load tested both both legs because this wire comes from the PCM. It's a one piece of wire. There's no connectors until the sub harness connector. I load tested both wire or both both wires of the circuit, um, and then I also tested both for a short to power, or short to ground, and found no issues. Yeah, and there was there was some there was some corrosion on another pin that was a sensor ground that I cleaned. I don't uh-huh. didn't think that was related to it, but I saw corrosion. I cleaned it. It's just kind of a thing, and that that didn't. After I did that, nothing changed. Um, so that Got that it. corrosion wasn't causing our problem. Um, I also checked resistance through with from the PCM down through the whole harness and found a resistance within a tenth of an ohm of my test of the sub harness. So I checked everything. And based on all these tests, I recommend a replacement of the PCM because everything else okay. is there. I'm just not getting driver actuation out of the PCM. Um, put a PCM in it this morning and had the exact same symptom. Okay. New, new or used? Just curious. New. New, new from it. the dealer. Okay. So went back through, rechecked. I rechecked all the, I, re, I rescoped it. Because at this point, my boss is like, "Oh yeah, you did. You called it wrong. It's it's in the head." And I'm like, "No, there's something wrong. There's something electrically wrong with this." Because when I scope uh-huh. this wire, I've got a good. I've got 65 volts, and when I scope this one, I've got one. And these should yeah. match. And so we kind of talked it through and concluded the only other thing on this circuit that could possibly be drawing it down is a fuel injector. So we ordered a. Okay. We got a, we got a new fuel injector. And then just plugged it, didn't install it, just plugged it in to see if our spike would come back. And I had I had to clear the code because we unplugged it with a key on and it set a circuit code and then it turned off that injector. But cleared the code with a new injector okay. plugged in, started the vehicle up. You could feel the injector, the new injector clicking in your hand. And when I scope it, I've got 65 volts back at the at the injector sub harness. So Okay basically what had happened is somehow the injector i shorted is the word that comes to mind but was drawing more current than it normally would and was pulling that voltage down but 
I guess what I'm what I'm trying to figure out is how does that even work? Like my I, I can't understand in my head how that could be the case and none of my testing would have given me any indication that that yeah. was Yeah. So I was looking up diagrams and stuff while you were talking just so I could get a feel for the setup and well, so there's a number of things that popped up in my head as you were going through that. Uh, is, is there any other things that you wanted to point out on that before I jump in? Um, do you want me to give you the what I what I found when I put a new injector in it, or or do we want to? Well, let's let's hold, let's hold off on that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Stay tuned. So. Uh, <laughs> I know when I go after GDI stuff, I, when I first um, got my hands on a GDI car and I had a scope at the same time, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to scope the shit out of this thing. And I remember it was actually a Volkswagen. It was the very first one that I w- was able to hook a scope up to. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, and look at, <laughs> yeah, um, look at the injector waveform. And I'd done it like, I did many, many other port injectors um, where I'm looking at voltage. And I was very confused by how you could see control on both sides. And it made, where do I reference my scope in order to get a, you know, a waveform that makes any sense to me, especially considering what I'm used to? Because again, like you say, they control on both sides. And something I'm thinking about on this one is they share a path for the boost capacitor in a lot of cases between a couple cylinders within the ECM. And so you'll see some activation from another injector on, you know, let's say, I I don't know if these ones do share in this application and I don't know which ones, if they do, but let's say two and four share a boost capacitor within the ECM. You could see activity from one on the other, depending on which side of the circuit you're on. And so that makes it even more confusing. So, what I do now when I'm trying to assess an injector operation on a GDI is I will go to amperage first and foremost. So I put an amp clamp around either one. doesn't matter. And that's the, the beauty of it. It doesn't matter. It's just which way I flip it. But then I'm looking at the amperage just for that specific injector. And I'm not so worried about the voltage unless, unless okay, the amperage points me that way. And now I want to see what's going sure. on on it. But I want to see the amperage, and it gives you, in, in my opinion, a clearer waveform of what the injector is doing, right? It's an output, it's doing work, it's, it's drawing some current, right? It's only a couple ohms, so it's going to be really drawing some current, especially with the higher, um, the higher voltage, the boosted voltage. Um, and so you can tell a lot by what's going on, and especially because you have, you know, three other known goods right there and you can go and, and compare. So that's that's the way I like to look at it because that control on both sides and a potential shared path within the ECM between a couple cylinders can really make things difficult to digest on the voltage side of things with a scope. Not to say that if you really know that application and that car that you can't use it, I just, for me, I find amperage easier uh, to look at. Um, now that all being said, and, and obviously you'll get to what you end up f- finding. I'm just wondering if 
the ECM was actually shutting that down and maybe you were seeing voltage or something that was you know, from, a, from a shared a shared leg of the yeah the boost pressure. yeah so, and I'd have to look at the 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 scope or actually I think you sent me the scope I said, I sent, I yeah I sent pull you that a, up and see a picture of it um, so yeah. something something that I struggled with that I think would have maybe helped to make this diag a little clearer is like you were saying about uh, a boost capacitor that that is shared between one or more cylinders. How where do I, where would I go to find that information? Because I went digging through service information, I couldn't find any information as far as like what does the internal of this PCM circuitry look like as far as how it's yeah. Controlled. See, uh, and I actually I pulled up. Oh, Identifix just booted me off. Um, I pulled up the OE diagram because the redrawn definitely doesn't show you much of anything what's going on inside of the uh, the control module. It just says, yeah. you know, control high, control low. The, the OE diagram actually shows you a basically a high, low side. I don't know if that's the diagram you were looking at, um, but it'll show a high and a low driver, but it's their generic GM symbols within the ECM. So on one side, you have the dot with the line through it, and then I switch below it, which is indicating that's power, that's GM's. Hey, we have power here. And then the other ones, they switch to the symbol for ground, but the issue with that is is if you're questioning it like you are that's not actually what's going on inside of there and the troubling part for so many technicians out there is yeah i want to know how they are actually connected within that ecm how are the circuits actually driven what's going on inside of there and if you go way back um, to the 90s wiring diagrams, there were manufacturers that would give you like that level of detail. You know, they'd show um, a lot of the resistors and the circuitry inside of the PCM and they kind of went away with that. Uh, for what reason, I don't know, but man, it would be really, really nice to see some of that detail because I, I obviously this thing is not just powered on one side and ground on the other. I mean, even if they each have their own boost capacitor, that's that's in there and it's not labeled in the diagram. So you don't even, you know, necessarily know yeah, that it's I, there. I I just pulled it up just so I could see and track what you're talking about. Like, yeah, I had, I had looked at, at the Identifix, the OE, the OE diagram, and, and that's how I was able to conclude, you know, it's, it's switched on both sides because this diagram clearly shows that. But then it's like, you can't the wire that switches the power doesn't tell you where that wire goes it just disappears and so yeah the other thing i was gonna look up here was um the description operation and maybe you already did that i was curious to see if they outlined uh within there how uh, the uh, injection system is set up yeah, uh, sometimes just, they'll give you little clues yeah, so it says as the ECM supplies a high voltage supply circuit and a high voltage control circuit for each fuel injector. The injector high voltage supply circuit and the high voltage control circuit are both controlled by the ECM. The ECM energizes each fuel injector by grounding the control circuit. The ECM controls each fuel injector with a six with sixty five volts. This is controlled by a by a boost capacitor in the ECM. 
During the 65 volt boost mm. phase, the capacitor is discharged through an injector, allowing an injector electrical opening. The injector is held open with 12 volts. So that sounds like it's one one boost capacitor, and then the ECM directs that to an injector. Like there's only and one. And that's, I suppose that's possible. Again, without actually going inside of the module, you don't know. Yeah, like how um, do you... And obviously, I know you you dabble a little bit in, in modules, and... I, I don't I don't if if the module is bad I, I put a new box in it that's that's the extent of my mm-hmm. my module works so it's like I I don't know and that's I don't know if there's there's really a fix other than trying to convince manufacturers to give us more information which isn't going to do and it's any good uh, right but yeah like if I, I feel like if I had a better idea of how this system works inside the ECM if for example, my my conclusion was there's different there's different boost capacitors and the boost capacitor that runs cylinder four is bad. That's why we're still getting some actuation, but we're not getting the full uh, amplitude as far as the voltage that we should be getting. Uh, uh-huh. But if and and reading through this again, it almost sounds like it's saying there's only one boost capacitor. Uh, but if if I had a diagram that showed that, or if I knew there was only one boost capacitor, I, I could I could shoot down that that uh theory because if there's one boost capacitor and it works on this injector then it should work on the other injector right right um the other thing i'm looking through here is sometimes you can find some information on the system and this is particular to gm gm is i don't i don't know if good is the term that i would use but it's very common for gm to hide the system description or the detail about the systems within the definition of a trouble code and they'll they'll give you little bits of detail that is not found in their normal description operation and so i'm just glancing through right now to see if there's anything that would yeah and even and the other thing was that, that i didn't have there were no there were no codes other than the misfire code or codes. It, it did end up, it did eventually set a, a 304. Yeah. It was dead on four, but there was no, there were no circuit codes for any, any fuel injectors or anything like that. And typically, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm, you talked about an episode, like when I first started listening to, to this podcast, that sometimes like having some information is not, is almost worse than having no information and that like <laughs> yeah, no kidding you know just a little bit and so in my head I'm, I'm thinking if there's no if there's no injector circuit code the pcm has run through all of its self-tests and all the things that it monitors and it's not seeing a problem yeah. on the circuit since i don't have a code and the lack of uh-huh. code is not no information it just it, it rules out certain things um so, and and maybe that assumption was wrong i i don't know i mean i, I do know i know now but i don't i it's like I now today I know what the solution was. I know what fixed this problem, but I can't wrap my head around where my process went wrong because it ended up kind of being like we shotgun an ECM that didn't work, you know, kind of a thing. Uh-huh. And and I don't understand why. And that and that bothers me maybe more than it should, but like I want to understand sure. what went wrong so that the next time this happened, next time I have a diag like this, I don't get the I don't have the wrong call. Well, I can say if, you know, I had gotten to the point where you were at um one of the other things 
I would have done, and I can say this only because I've been in a similar situation. I actually, I had an Audi, um, that would, it was an injector problem. Um, and it was shutting down the circuit to drive the injector. And this was a GDI, it was like a V6 or something. And it was intentionally shutting down the circuit. Um, and boy, I don't recall the codes. I don't have that in front of me, but it, I, there were codes kind of pointing in the right direction, or at least to the, to that there was an issue with, uh, the injection, the injectors, <clears throat> but I powered up the injector by itself. Right. So I took the computer out of the picture and I just sent normal battery voltage and ground to it. Right. Obviously they're supposed to to get over the high pressure, they boost that voltage up, but you can still send power and ground to them as long as it's not one of the crystal stacks that that's a different animal. But for a a regular copper winding injector on GDI, send 12 volts to it, measure the amperage. And again, you've got X amount of known goods on that vehicle to compare to and see. And this one spiked the amperage. I wish I had my notes in front of me on this one. It was much higher than all of the other ones is, is what I can say. N- noticeably, I was just measuring amperage, connecting power and ground, and this thing was way high. And the computer recognized that. And so it just shut down the circuit. Um, I'll let you go with what you found. And I'm going to see if I can find my notes on that Audi. Yeah, I just, while I'm sitting here looking through information on on Mitchell, I I'm I'm looking through the OEM test flow chart for the fuel injector coil test and I'm looking at what it what it calls for to to test it it says disconnect it test for um 1 1.3 to 1.44 ohms uh between the two pins and if it's not within that replace it now my my measurement when I checked this was not within that range but the known good next to it was also not within that range. Um, okay. But yeah, I I just found this. I didn't see this yesterday when I was looking at this. But that, but even then, I don't know that would have changed the the direction that I went as far as as far as a call on that mm-hmm. because I like like I've got a known good. This one works. This one works every time, and it works normally, and it's at one point eight. That is technically out of spec, but uh-huh. it works. And if the one next to it measures the same, you see, you see, where I'm going with that, like, yeah, yeah, and and so uh, number temperature is definitely a factor, um, uh, you know, when you're looking at the resist- resistance or something like that, and sure. I'll use a resistance value of something that does work, right? I, I try to evaluate components electrically speaking. Is are they sending information? Or are they doing work? And I treat them a little differently and I think about them differently when I'm testing, right? So an injector, obviously it's doing work. It's drawing some current. And so not that I won't ohm check it. I will. And again, if they give you a spec, why wouldn't you? But I'm going to just kind of take that as one piece of information about it. And again, in a situation like that, I'm going to be sending power and ground to it to see, okay, let's force it to do work and see what happens because 
you know, maybe once because because your ohmmeter is sending what like three volts through the thing and almost a, a minuscule amount of current, whereas this thing's meant to handle potentially six, seven, eight amps that, yeah. of current. Yeah, um, I, I just found my notes on this. And uh, by the way, so you sent me a bunch of notes on this car. That's fantastic that you do that because if just for this reason, like this was over a year ago that I looked at this Audi and I made myself some notes, but it's good that I can look back at this because I didn't remember any of these details. So yeah. this was an 07 Q7, uh, 4.2 liter. I did have a code. It was a P2147 Group B injector circuit power supply circuit open shorted. That was the code. So that did. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, and that's more a direction that I think you had with this one. But yeah. what I ended up finding is that there's two injectors that share, or multiple injectors share power feeds, but it's in groups of two. And seven and four are basically the ones that pertain to this code. Right. So you have to, then you have to determine as a tech, is it seven or is it four? And what the ECM would do is just quickly pulse the circuit and then it would shut both of these down. So then you had to determine which one it is. And I did that part of it wasn't clear that it was seven and four and that either one could cause it. But I I got there eventually. I do have a note in here. So for anybody working on one of these, the redrawn wiring diagrams are wrong. Imagine that. (laughs) So use the factory if you're doing this one. But I did only injector and uh, let's see the good injector should be two ohms and five to six amps. I probably had a discharge battery there. Um, And then the shorted one was one ohm and closer to 10 amps. And after replacing that, that one that drew 10 amps, that was only at one ohm that fixed the problem. And then the computer didn't shut down the circuit anymore. Um, so anyways, yeah, that, yeah, that was so I'm, the one I'm that came to mind. I'm super familiar with that, that method of, of driving. Cause I, so I, I specialize in, in like diesel or light duty diesel. So I oh. like pickup truck diesels is what I specialize in. So, uh, Duramax has run the same way where they group injectors together and it's, I, they have a, there's a super common problem. I think it's like the number eight injector pigtail goes bad, but it sees that okay. the ECM sees that problem and it shuts down the group. And so you lose two injectors. And if you're not you know, familiar with it, you're going to chase your tail trying to figure out which injector it is. Uh-huh. Like that makes sense. There's information out there. You can find it, especially if you have a code that <laughs> yeah. gives you a direction. This was like, there's no code that's dead. What's wrong with it? Figure it out. Uh, sure. Which is fun. I like, I like a good, I like to be able to like stretch my diagnostic muscles a little bit, right. And get to do it. Cause I, I, I'm a line tech. I work on everything. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm doing cylinder heads on a 2006 Ford diesel right now. It's like, I do big, heavy work. I do a little bit of diag. So I like I like the good diag. So sure. basically, we found that when we plugged the fuel injector in, our our voltage came back, and so we went ahead and and replaced it. And here I'm actually just gonna real quick, so you can really appreciate this. If you pull your phone out, I'm gonna okay. send you two pictures right now. And uh, <laughs> our new tech is the one who put the injectors in. And when he installed the new fuel injectors, he did not remove the old fuel injector O-ring from the fuel rail. And what happened is when he jammed the new injectors into it, the O-ring came apart and there is O-ring debris down inside of the number four fuel injector. Ah, 
Okay. Okay. So yeah, I can see that down in the middle of there. Yeah, there's like a little chunk of rubber down in there. So I I can't really wrap my head around why that makes the injector not work. Um another just side detail. I don't have an amp clamp that talks to a to a scope that can read that kind of low amperage. So that wasn't a a test option available to me. Sure. And but I like I I wish it was cuz I would really be curious to see because if I don't know. Like I, I, I really wish we could, we could see what that, what that amperage ramp looked like. Uh, yeah, because I would assume I, that it's going to be still... drawing more, more current. But how does, how does a physical clogging of the injector lead to it consuming more amperage? So much so that it draws the voltage well, down to a volt. Well, I, I. See, I'm still hung up on that the computer was shutting down the circuit to save the cat. And and maybe I'm wrong there, but that's my good that if you just didn't explain any of this other stuff and just asked me, I'd be like, well, yeah, it probably just shut the circuit down. So and again, maybe what you were seeing is voltage is residual or connected to another circuit. I, I, again, we don't know the inner workings. And so that the computer just just shut it off because it saw a misfire and once well okay so well no because when i but when when you plugged plugged in in the new injector injector, it it came mm. back it would the injector just sitting in my hand and plugged in so now the circuit's doing what it should and our voltage came back even though we still had the dead miss on four okay okay now okay and now i'm thinking through this when i have that potential situation where i'm questioning whether an injector is shutting down a circuit i will do a key cycle right and when you first start the engine it should go back to pulsing that circuit and that for a short period of time and and then once it determines that hey we have a misfire then it's gonna turn it back off so i don't know in your scenario how you know, uh, the, the, the sequence on how it was tested or if that could be a possibility. I don't know how long, how long you let it run with the new injector plugged in and it running. Uh, it ran for probably two or three minutes. I mean, it was, it was more, more than a minute. So I would think if it, if it was shutting it down because it saw a misfire, I would think that it, we probably were past that, um, that threshold where it would have seen a problem and, and shut it down. So what I would be curious on is that injector that was full of O-ring stuff is just like I say, operating that thing on the bench with 12 volts and see what it's doing. And now, now you could see it being physically restricted, but it's not a, it's not like a motor, right? It's not when you slow down a motor, you're going to draw more amperage. This is very different. This is electrically speaking that injector hasn't changed at all unless that's what i don't understand like that's what i don't get like i can i can see a Mm. problem we put a new fuel injector in it our our misfire on four went away and now it works fine um i've got a misfire on cylinder two i i did a quick a cursory look through them i didn't see any debris any any of them but now i've got a misfire on another cylinder so we've ordered up we're gonna swap out we're gonna do three more injectors and get give it fresh injectors without the o-ring debris um, but like I don't I can't wrap my head around how does a physical restriction in the inlet of a fuel injector cause an electrical issue like what I'm seeing. Yeah, I, if 
my gut reaction to that is it can't. Um, unless it were to physically damage the injector in a way which it damaged the windings, which I don't think is the case because of if that was to happen, your resistance value would be off. That, and that's right? what I'm saying. Then is your like, ohm check is very valuable. Right. So if I understand the way this injector works, and I haven't actually sliced one apart or seen what they look like inside, but it's there's a there's a needle and a little like a pencil at the bottom of it. And there's a needle that sits into a a seat. And when it energizes that magnet, it pulls, it pulls that needle back from the seat, fuel sprays into the cylinders. It, it lets go of the magnet. The needle closes. Like there's nowhere, there's nowhere in the body of this fuel injector where debris could come in contact with the electrical winding in the coil. So and even if I'm it looking could, at a picture of one right now, I guess that I guess I could have Googled that. Uh, no, yeah, it's not how, showing you the inner workings of it, but I'm just looking at the body and it looks like your very typical looking GDI style solenoid injector where it is just a coil of wire around the, you know, the movable, the pintle and the core, the solenoid. So like nothing. There's no Nothing moving, special. I, mean, I should say there's no moving parts because obviously something moves so it injects fuel. But there's no, like I'm I work with uh, the acronym is Huey Hybrid Electric Unit Injector on on older diesels where there's like you have high mm-hmm. pressure oil that moves and there's a solenoid that controls high pressure oil and there's a piston that moves and that pushes on like that has a bunch of moving pieces. This injector doesn't. There's one part that moves when it gets elect when it gets current sent to it. It pulls that piece back, yeah. fuel goes in, it lets it go, it closes it. So how does, and especially especially debris that is, you know, I mean, it's an O-ring. It's not that hard. So it'll it'll restrict mm-hmm. flow, but it's not it's not like you're dropping sand down it that could, you know, damage some mechanical yeah. part of this injector. But that's the thing is even if a one of these injectors, if you welded the tip of this thing shut, it will not change the amperage amount right. out of the injector, right? It's not – you do that to a fuel pump, different story, but sure. an injector, that's not going to be the case. Because it, the if anything doesn't you, care what the physical is doing. It's just an electrical winding, and when yeah. it gets current, it, does, it, it creates the magnetic field, and it pulls on whatever, right? Like, that's all it does. It doesn't know – hey, there's restriction in the inlets or the supply side of this component. So now um, I'm just kind of thinking outside of the box here. Is there any possibility that you had the scope like maybe on the wrong scale when looking at that control circuit in reference to the other one, right? Like, um the volts per division if they no. were in on the wrong setting it might show you you know a, a, a lower voltage than or yeah, it lo- so, appears to be a lower sure, voltage sure so so i so i had it set up i'm i'm grounding my scale off battery ground and then i i'm run i ran i ran my scale in i i, I the snap on the snap on sets it up and it gives you a, a the way you select your scale is so like I put it in a, a hundred volt scale is a hundred volts from the bottom of the screen to the top of the screen. 
um, or the bottom bottom of your yeah. scale, the top of your scale. So I run it in a hundred. I can see the spike up to sixty five on the one, and when I run the other one at the hundred, you don't see it at all. There's just like some static in the bottom. But if I if I change that scale down to like ten volts between top to bottom, then I can see the I can zoom in on it and see that current ramp. Or it's not a current ramp, the voltage ramp. But yeah, yeah, the voltage spike. But so like I so I know, I know our wavelength was measured. Like I know when I can when I overlay them together, I know I'm using the same scale. And you can, I'm pretty sure we can actually see it in the picture that I sent you. Yeah, let me let me pull up the picture that you sent me here. It's all sideways. Oh, you can't quite. Oh, actually, no, you can. So the the yellow trace, which is known good and so you, the green is known so you bad. got that on a 50 volt yeah so you can see it goes green, up off the screen and then the the green's on a 10 volt and it's barely moving at all so so you do have them on different scales but yeah just the just green for the sake should of this be taller exactly the green should should match and obviously you can see on i guess it's the bottom because this picture is sideways i apologize um we're a little bit we're mm-hmm. a little bit separated so our yellow starts a little bit higher than the green just for the sake of clarity of the picture. Um, okay. But yeah, we at, at this volt at, at a 10 volt scale, the, the green should be off the chart high. Like, I mean, you should, it's just, you'd see that you'd see it start to ramp up and then it would just go off the screen because it's so much higher than 10 volts. Are, are these, so what you're looking at here, this is the engine running obviously and two different cylinders. Yes. Is that is, correct? Yeah. So, Yellow is cylinder three, which is not misfiring. The, Green is cylinder four, which is they, misfiring. They shouldn't be happening at the exact same time. That that's not how that's not how the engines not, work. Yeah, I think they, they're so for everybody listening, and I know this is audio only. We're looking at a scope pattern of two injectors right on top of each other, and they're uh, right. The one in question is much lower voltage than the other, but they're perfectly aligned, which can't be the case for two different cylinders on a four cylinder. You ever have one of those light bulb so, moments? So, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm hoping I can help you <laughs> hey, out. I just, here I just, I just had a light bulb at. because I saw something on the scope. So I, after we put the ECM in it, and it still had a misfire. I hooked the scope back up, but I only hooked up one. I hooked up one, uh, one set of wires to it. So. I had a yellow trace. I didn't have a green or the green trace is not plugged into the scan tool. It's sitting in it or not plugged into the scope. It's sitting in a drawer. And I saw that same pattern on the green with nothing plugged into it. This, oh, like mid morning. Okay. Which like just clicked in my head. Sure. That, sure. So uh, it's, it's that, gotta be something picking up from it's probably the in, injector circuit up there. Yeah, it's honestly, it's probably in the, um, it's probably inside the scope. It's doing it. I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's how or why that's potential, or it's picking it up like leads, you know, laying on each other or something like that. Um, yeah, but if I saw it this morning without the engine. other one plugged into yeah, it, yeah, that's true. So yeah, then it would like, be in the it'd be in the scope, or. I'm just thinking maybe even on where are these, where is the scope grounded just on the battery so, or uh, yeah, this is in this, in this picture, the scope is grounded to the, the negative terminal on the battery. So I'm, I'm clipped right onto that. Okay. Um, All right. Terminal. So 
But that would going make back sense. to this, then that would make sense though if it's not if if that if this test is faulty because that's not actually what we're seeing. Yeah, on the green, that, which it, it is let's when it was hooked up to the car, green was hooked up to cylinder three, right? Was I'm correct. sorry, it was three the misfiring one? Or no, it's uh, green so, was on cylinder four. Green was on four. Green was on four was their misfire, and then yellow there was on three. Should be, there should be another event somewhere between the yellow pulses, right? So if you were to zoom out, you'll see multiple injector events on the yellow. There should be a green one somewhere in the middle between somewhere those. Between, right, because it's not gonna you're not gonna inject fuel into both cylinders at the same time because they're not firing at the same time. Right, right. And so if there was nothing there again kind of it goes back to what i was thinking about like it had shut the circuit down or maybe you see it maybe it's there the voltage is reading now let me ask you this your trigger set up on the yellow yes. isn't that yes that's why that's why so you're you're always going to be focused in on the good cylinder because your trigger is showing through that front and center. And then whatever's happening on the green, you're going to see it, you know, in the same time. And we're just picking up some residual voltage on that circuit. Again, maybe inside the scope, maybe something to do with the connection of the vehicle, but that, that would make sense. So my, my next test, if I had the car in front of me is zoom the scope out and see what do I have going on uh, in between the two, yellow injector events yeah so that would that would track then like that that makes sense to me because if if i went down a rabbit hole because i saw a low a low value as far as that it didn't it didn't click in my head that what you're saying here that these these events are happening at the same time and and the same time in i don't know if it'll show us uh, we're in we're in milliseconds here, so the same the same time within a you know millisecond of each other, and it's all exactly the same. Two injectors are not going to fire at the same time. I can only trigger off of right. one. I can only trigger one trace at a time. Snap on won't let me trigger off of two. Um, so if this but test you is can bad, then the injectors zoom out. Off. Well, yeah, I could I could zoom out and look at it, but but the. But if this test is bad, and the problem is not that the that the PCM is not supplying, or the problem is not the PCM not supplying power to the circuit, or that the injector is drawing more current, it's that it the PCM has turned off this injector because it sees a misfire, and we are getting a false test result because of some weirdness in our test equipment. Yeah. It, did you try having the trigger on the bad cylinder at any point? I did. Um, I did, and it's it's the same. I had to move the trigger really low to catch it, but it was it was still catching the same the same pattern. Uh, but if so, I bet you it was off then. So yeah, I mean that makes the most sense. I mean that that's not. I shouldn't say it makes the most sense. That's the only thing that does make sense is if the right. PCM is turning it off because it sees the misfire and for whatever reason 65 volts is enough that we're bringing up the voltage on our other trace 
Yeah. So this is a fantastic example of scope usage and where it can be such a powerful tool that can separate you and tell you things that you would never know otherwise, but it can also lead you down a rabbit send hole. you down rabbit <laughs> holes that you would never have gone down otherwise. And I know a lot of people that use scopes on a regular basis are aware of that, but for somebody who is excited to buy their first Pico or their first U scope, you got to have that, you know, in the back of your mind as much as often as possible, because otherwise, like I've done this exact same sort of thing. I'll find a post on uh, on Facebook that I had. Uh, I was messing around with a three eight, and I was picking up um, injector or, uh, ignition signals from another wire, and I was I spent hours on it, hours, and it's something that I would have never done had I not had that scope. Um, but it's like, well, there it's right there. It's, it's firing this coil twice. And yeah. Yeah. So, um, just, I, I just, I get a little bit of a a sidebar question because you, you have a Pico, correct? Yeah, I do. Okay. So have you ever seen your Pico do something like this where it's, it's reading, you're reading a, a voltage on a channel that you're not, testing on like where you get where you get uh so we're looking at channel one and i'm also Mm -hmm. getting it's bringing up channel two for some reason when channel one spikes have you ever seen the the pico do something like that i mean obviously if you get a wire that's picking something up weird but where it's where it's strictly a failure yeah this is i mean where it's strictly a failure of the tool where the tool is reading your equipment's reading something that doesn't exist on a wire. Um, I'm trying to talk my boss into spending money on a Pico because I don't have the cash for it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, nothing, nothing comes to mind unless my setup is wrong. And that's the scenario where I could say, yes, something like that has sure. happened, but it's when I have something set up wrong, whether it be a ground lead not you know connected correctly or i somehow have you know my leads touching and i'm not aware of it but that that's the only thing i can really think of um it's if you set up the test right i think it does a pretty accurate job of telling you what's actually going on so is i know i know you're going to have a um some some extent of of an RF field around a voltage that's car- or a wire that's carrying a lot of voltage like this. How yeah. let's say you've got your two leads and you're doing this like you can't see it in this picture, but slightly outside of the frame of this picture, there's two piles of leads sitting there because they're each leads like four or five feet long, and the the scope is sitting four inches from where I'm testing. Would Yep. I don't think that's the problem here, but could you potentially have an issue because your test leads are sitting right on top of each other? When, uh, when we're talking yes. about a voltage around 65 like this one. Yes, and even even more so when we're talking about ignition components that are 40,000. Um, but 
the quality of the lead changes that or or reduces that significantly. Okay. And so the Pico leads and a lot of other high quality leads, I, I can't speak to Snap-on. I've never owned a Snap-on scope, but the, I know the Pico leads are shielded in a way where you don't get rid of all of it. Right. Sure. And if you talk to really savvy scope users, they can tell if they can look at a waveform that at, on a car that they were not at and they can tell you whether it was running or not because they can see the interference from everything happening under the hood. And there is little bits of it and you almost learn to ignore it. Right. You just yeah. see the little blips in the voltage and it's picking up stuff. And so you'll get a little bit, but the better the quality of your lead, the less you'll have that. Now, the opposite's true as well. If you're getting really cheap leads, which I've had, then you, then you're getting all kinds of interference yeah. into those into those leads. So, uh, if yeah, if you're going to invest, I mean, even if you don't have a Pico, but if you're going to invest in getting into a, a scope, uh, don't go with the the cheapest leads possible because they're not going to be shielded to the same, uh, the same amount. And so you're going to get more interference from, you know, electrically speaking or RF speaking under the hood is a, is a very noisy place. And, and yeah, yeah, if you've got your leads re- laying over the top of it, coils and injectors and all this stuff, you're going to be getting some, some voltage induced into those, those leads. Yeah. So I guess to kind of summarize what we've learned today. And I, I, so I, the way that my brain is wired, I process things verbally. So like, as I talk through a problem, I, I understand it better. Um, to kind of summarize is where, where my testing procedure went wrong is I didn't notice that these spikes are exactly in sync with each other. And or I, mm-hmm. I did I did notice I took a picture of it, but it didn't click in my head that they shouldn't be in sync with each other because we're mm-hmm. testing two different cylinders. They shouldn't they shouldn't be synced together. Um, and that's that's kind of where I guess kind of went went down a rabbit trail because I was looking at this data, going, okay, there's a problem here when. If I had if I had done maybe a little bit more testing, if I had, if I had unhooked <clears throat> if I had unhooked the the second lead and just used one lead and checked it, I would have seen that it was a flat yeah. line. There was there would have been nothing there. Yep. Um, yep. So, well, you might have still you may have still or, seen that one volt. Uh, that's hard. You'd have to. Test I guess that, and see. I guess there's only yeah. We won't really know, but. Okay, so that okay, so in my head I understand. So basically, what happened, kind of backing up, fuel injector was replaced, the the O ring was left in the in the ra- or in the rail or in the line that goes to it, and so there was a piece of debris that went in, restricted fuel flow, ECM sees that as a misfire, disables the cylinder, we have a miss or we or it sees it sees a misfire because there's a restriction in fuel supply to the injector so it turns the injector off but it doesn't set a circuit code it sets a misfire code and mm-hmm. i had interpreted this test as it's still trying to fire the injector when in fact this is a failure of the tool and we're just getting bleed through voltage on the other scope trace from or between the channels 
So the problem all along is not yeah. it's ramping to a volt and that's a problem. The problem is that the conductor is off because there's a misfire, which was caused by debris restricting the fuel injector. Yeah, I uh, I can believe that. Like that makes sense sure. in my head. That, that drives. Yep. Yep. For sure. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad we can make some <laughs> progress on it. That's cool. <laughs> I was like getting an answer, you know. Sometimes that's, you're that's always the... that's always a little worried because when I I know we scheduled this really quick. I don't know if that's typical for you, um, but I was like, it's fresh in my head. I want to figure it out. But like, I didn't have an answer <laughs> yesterday, and it, mm-hmm. I it, or I didn't have enough information to come to an answer yesterday. And so I'm I'm happy to to get to an answer today. Um, so. Yeah, I think I think the the moral of this story is no matter how confident you are, remember that a scope is a really easy way to get down a rabbit hole. Um mm-hmm. and that two injectors next to each other should not fire at the same time. Which is like common <laughs> sense. Like, yeah, I, right. like I I know that. I know that. Like it's not my first day on the job. Um Yep. But yeah. But we're not used to seeing it you know electrically on a, on a graph i mean as some people are obviously but if you sure. haven't you know done that a ton you're just looking yeah. for ejector patterns and 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 the two things don't and come together the only reason that, like that stood out to me is because i've done like a ton of in cylinder stuff and and a, and a ton of scoping and so uh, like I, I that just that came up in my brain i was like well how come they right on top of each other um yeah, it's, it's all it's all experience, right? That's, that's literally current, all it is. And that that's if you had an amp clamp, you would have caught this because you would have seen current ramp on yeah. cylinder three, which is working. You would have seen zero. Would have would have never known about the one volts. Yeah, yeah, that's what I guess I, I need to spend money on is is an amp clamp because that would have oh yeah saved us from this whole rabbit hole. Yeah, I absolutely love my amp clamp for sure. That's that's my go to for so many different things. So, yep. That's the uh, that's the the uh, <laughs> the moral uh, of the story. Moral of the story is everybody go buy an amp clamp. <laughs> uh, and I guess this is where we segue into that ad spot for for Jarhead. I'm sure he sells something. Um, also, just a side <laughs> just a side note while while we're here talking, um, I was sure. listening to an episode. Uh, you it was your you're talking about your your everyday carry, and you referenced a the amp clamp that is in your your little bag. Um, yeah, but you said everything in your bag was like less than 300 bucks and my amp clamp was like 400 bucks. And I was just curious what amp clamp you had or what your, so, your little one that read, I think ju- up to a hundred, up to a hundred amps is what you had. Yeah. Uh, to be clear, this does not connect to a scope. This yeah, has no. a little, I, it's just a LCD display on it. So it's a, um, actually let me, let me check the going price on Amazon here. Because I so the amp clamp that I have is great. It'll read up to six hundred amps, but it only reads down. It, it's it is only accurate to a tenth of an amp. So I fifty three dollars on Amazon okay, right so now like, for the Unity amp clamp. Yeah. Now for this particular situation, running it may not be fast enough to sure. catch the amperage. Yeah, I'm. I'm. But my head's off in a different world, and I'm thinking about parasitic draws now. Um, oh, that's, okay. That's, that's why I want it. 
because I just need something that can read like fine amps without, um, <clears throat> without spending an arm and a leg because I I still work for a living and I'm not exactly made of money. As nice as that would be. Yeah. No, I, I will say I use that thing all the time. Are there more precise ways to do draws? Can you use a scope? Yeah, that's that's fine. But I actually have two of those things. I have another one in the van, so I'll put them on multiple cables coming out of the battery, and then you can see it, it makes real quick work of not only is there a draw, but where's it going? Like, which yeah. big cable off the battery where's the draw going and then i can at least find the fuse panel or the component that yeah and then work off as of the as the draw going yeah but those things will go down to to 50 milliamps they'll drift if you let them sit for a while but they're pretty they're accurate enough for me to get what i need yeah and bit. usually with a parasitic draw you're not you're not really like if you're like two milliamps over it's like you're you're miss. usually it's not a yeah. two milliamp draw that's your problem it's like You've got a module right. that's staying on or a <laughs> yeah. recorded wire, and it's drawing a half an amp. Like, so uh-huh. usually that tiny, tiny little bit of accuracy in your in your diagnostic equipment is not super necessary. Um, but yeah, okay. Sorry, total sidebar, not not at all related to what we're doing here. But yeah, <laughs> no, it's all good, man. Um, do you want to maybe send me a link or put a link in the show notes to that uh, to that amp? amp yeah, amp? just. That way I can have it. And then if anybody uh, else who's listening is interested in that, then they can find it as well. I will send the link to you right now. So don't forget, but yeah, I'll, uh, I'll post that Facebook group too. Everybody should have one. Yeah, I guess. So you can, um, you can crack these things open and there is an EEPROM chip in them. I'm told. Um, and you can change the functions of these things. And so when you first turn it on and my employee learned this a few months ago when you made a bad call on one, when you first turn it on to any of its settings, the default is alternating current and you have to press oh. the blue button to get it to switch to DC, which is 99% of the measurements that I want to make is in, right. especially amperage. Not to say that you couldn't use it, but I want I want to measure DC amps, and so you have to press the button. If you don't know, you have to press the button. You're on AC, and if it's not <laughs> a changing voltage, well, guess or uh, amperage, it's it's zero, and so you don't think you have anything going on. So, but I guess you can go into the CPROM and edit it. Google, there's a bunch of stuff on it. I, for me personally, I'll just hit the button. So far above my pay grade, it's not even funny. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's there's stuff out there on it. So if you have time and the passion for that sort of stuff, there's yeah. so many cool things you can do with electronics. And I I have neither one of those two things. <laughs> I just like I like <laughs> getting things right. And that was something that I I somebody asked you at some point. Uh, this was a while back. Um, in the last like 12 months, how many bad calls you'd had or things that you'd called that were wrong. And at the time, I think your answer was two in the last 12 months. And you do Diag like every day of the week. I mean, obviously you do programming too. And what, what I've shifted my mindset to is that with basically every problem on a car can be tested and you can prove generally speaking 
you can prove a component failure, right? Like there is, mm-hmm. there is a test that can prove it, you know, and, and maybe you don't have the equipment. In this case, I didn't have an amp clamp to prove the injector was, was off, but you can, you can test to the point of finding your problem. And I guess that's the challenge that I run into is it's something you said, and I think your last episode was that you get, you know, parts until it starts guys that are right 80% of the time. And it's like, they're a star tech because they get it right 80% of the time. And then, yep. and that's kind of the shop that I work in. Not, they're probably a little, a little better than that, a little more diagonal than just shotgunning parts at it. But yeah, it's like pull the code, put the code on identifix, what's the top fix. We'll try that first, you know? And, mm-hmm. and the problem is that, yeah, seven or eight times out of 10, that works, you know? And yep. then, and then I, I, I get my, I get the scope out and I'm doing this stuff and I'm like, and everybody's kind of looking at me like, you're, what are you doing, dude? Like, what, what is this tool? I'm like, guys, it's a scope. This is cool. And then I go like way down a rabbit hole. Yeah. Call, call a bad ECM, yep. but it's not an ECM. So that worked out real well for me. Yeah. It's, it, it's a tough thing because yeah. So you make that right call, you know, 80% of the time and you saved, X amount of time from actually doing the diag. And so your productivity just looks awesome. Yeah. And those few that you can't figure out, you know, or whatever, you know, just push it down the road or whatever. But I, I think even within a shop, if, you know, and it takes time, this is an easy thing, but you build that, you know, that trust in people at the shop that they know they can go to you and you will get the correct answer. Now, maybe you'll get it wrong, right? And just for clarity for everyone listening, I've made a lot more than two bad calls in the last 12 months of my current <laughs> life, but um, you will eventually get it right. Um, uh, there's a BMW, which I'm probably going to do an episode on that I made. I, I called a module on it and that didn't fix it, right? But I went back and I figured it out. And I think that's the one of the important things to remember, especially when you're doing this stuff, especially when you're just, you know, getting into the stuff like scope is like, okay, yeah, you're gonna make a bad call here and there, but you stuck with it. You figured it out. Right. And now yeah. next time, next time you have one of these, here's the thing. Next time you have something like this, like you're going to know the ins and outs of it so, so well that yeah. all of this stuff was you know, tremendously worth the time that you spent on it. And yeah, then, like I say, so over that time you build the trust, people know that they can go to you, they can get, you're going to get the answer for them. And that's, that's where the value uh, comes from in all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing is, and that's kind of where I, where I go, especially when it comes to some of these calls where it's like, I'm pretty sure, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. And it's, you know, what, what else could it be? What else, what else is in this circuit? What else could, what else affects this component? What else could cause this issue? It, well, what if I'm wrong? What do I do next if I'm wrong? And, and in my head, I'm, I was going through the, you know, this whole process in my head while I'm, you know, explaining to my service writer, why we needed, why we need a PCM. And it's like, mm-hmm. and my head was, I was like, nope, that's it. It's PCM. Nothing else could be. I checked everything else. It's fine. Have a nice day. Um, and cl- clearly not. So I, I clearly have room to to grow <laughs> in my in my skill well, set. Keep keep an ear out for the BMW episode because, like <laughs> I said, I I told them, yep, you need a DME, 
And by the way, I can clone it for you too. So I, <laughs> I went through all of that and then it was the exact same thing. And, um, yeah, then yeah. I, no, then weird. I call then I call my friends. Right. And that's the other thing is having that network. I know I say people are probably sick of hearing me saying it, but, um, I called Fonslow and I called Justin Morgan and I went back today and you know, it's like, boom, bam, I got it. Oh, how was this, that, uh, how was I so far off, you know, the first time around, but it happens and this is the way, this is the way it goes. So and I think I, I, I think wouldn't feel real, I wouldn't feel too bad about it. Yeah, I think the real I think the real secret or the real trick to this is is not not beating yourself up over a bad call and and learning going back and and working through working through the process like what we're doing here, going back through the process to see where where did we go wrong, what can we do different next time so that we don't make the same make the same mistake. And then and then yeah, like networking is is a huge thing. I I really need to. I need to meet more people that, that do like advanced diag because I only knew one guy, uh, and it was like an old boss, and we we're on good terms. But what I learned is that my diag skill like passed his like two years ago, and and so it's like mm-hmm. there's there's not a lot of I don't. Sean, you're the only guy I know, and I don't even really. I mean, I know <laughs> you. I, I listen to your podcast, well, <laughs> but like I'll, there's nobody um, else that I know that I can talk through this problem with and go, what did I do wrong? Because I just I'm sure I didn't know that things like vision and ASTE and all these things existed up until like six months ago because I've been living under a rock. Yeah, I mean, no, that's the majority of technicians out there, myself included. If I go back 10 years, I had no clue, no idea any of that existed out there and the the groups of people that are out there. So I'll, I'll send you some. Uh, some invites to some Facebook groups that you can get into. And that's a good place to start. Like you can see, you know, people talking about stuff. You can post stuff like, Hey, what do you think of this injector waveform? Um, and that that's where it starts. And then you go to the events, you meet the people. And then that's when you really can, that, yeah, exactly. you got a phone number to call, right? That's, yeah, the, that's, thing. that's like, the thing. It's like knowing, knowing who to call and knowing, knowing your guy that it's, it's just funny because like, I'm that guy for so many techs that I that I know it in the area and even just in other areas that I've worked in. It's like I I probably average like two or three phone calls a month. Hey dude, I got this problem with a power stroke. I can't figure it out. It's like it's great, but the problem is everybody's calling me. I have nobody else to call. <laughs> so I yeah, need to spend some time yeah. building that network uh, up myself. And yep, well I was I was talking to somebody the other day who knew me from way back when you know I've been fixing cars since I started as right out of high school or in high school. Right. And I was telling them about what I'm doing now and all of the crazy smart people that I've met. And that I'm like, I'm like a kindergartner when I, you know, I'm in some of these groups or I feel like that. And he's like, he's like you, he's like, you always fixed everything, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, you don't understand. Like you think you're good at this stuff. And then you meet these other people that are like, holy shit like i'm i'm in they're in a different world they're a different type of person their yeah. brain functions completely differently than me and i just hope to glean a little bit of information off of them it's like you know you're 
you're the high school hockey star, right? And, and you're you're dominating, scoring five goals a night. Well, then you try to go play in the NHL and you're a fourth liner. You know, that's yeah, that's yeah. like the how I feel about it sometimes. But I, I, I do like it. Like I want to be surrounded by as many people that are really smart and really good at this as possible. And like I said, just sort of. Uh, yeah, there's something to be said. Of, if, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. You know, yes, I agree. You I surround agree. yourself with people that are smarter than you, and it's going to make you smarter. And that's that's mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's really the trick. And just and continuing education and always learning. And and when guys guys get settled into a groove, and they can turn out production, especially when they're flat rate and you're making money, it's it's really easy to just get stuck in that groove. But it's like I I don't want to be stuck in that groove. I want I want to understand what I'm doing, and I want to be the best at at what I do. And and I'm. I'm like, <laughs> I would tell you that I'm pretty good at what I do. And then I, 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 I listen to people like you and Fonslow and, and some of the other guys. And it's like, I'm, I'm just like a little kid. Like, I don't know. Am I even allowed to touch tools? Like <laughs> <laughs> you can hold the flashlight. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So anyways, Oh man. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, that I, I actually I really enjoyed that. That was cool. So, yeah, I think I think we, we both. I think we. Well, I don't know if you learned anything. I learned something. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you, Andrew, for joining me. Uh, that was great. Hopefully, everybody listening enjoyed that as well and uh, learned something from that. I thought that was uh, really good to point out. You know this this thing about lap scopes where. I definitely, I I use them all the time. I need them for my job, but you have to remember not to pick the fly shit out of the pepper, right? Uh, And that can happen. It happens to me all the time. So anyways, uh, thank you again, Andrew. Thank you, everybody listening. But with that all out of the way, let's get out there, start fixing the world one car at a time.